church. You will turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in Romans 12, focusing in on verses 3 through 8. The title of this sermon is Many Members, Many Gifts, One Body. So have you ever been given an objective? It was clear, but you weren't sure if you were capable of fulfilling the task. Maybe in school or at your job, you have been given a group assignment but did not have the right people on your team. Your teammates did not have the ability or the teamwork to get the job done. We know every sports team, their main objective for the season is to win the championship. But very few are equipped with the right personnel, the right coaching, the right talent, or the right team chemistry to perform in a way to win the championship. And we know the marching orders for the church. We have the Great Commission. On the big picture, macro level, he has ordered us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That's our job. We know overarching themes like we should do all things for the glory of God or that we should exercise dominion. These are big picture commands and objectives. But unlike poorly coached, poorly equipped, poorly talented, and poorly organized sports teams, God has given his people the means, the instructions, the gifts, and the unity to accomplish the Great Commission and to live lives pleasing to him for his glory. And Romans 12 gives us a picture of healthy body life and ways we are to work together in unison as one body using our diverse gifts within the body that will in turn grow and mature the church. So the first 11 chapters of Romans, uh, they're, they're mainly doctrinal. They're mainly theological. That's not to say that there's not practical application in the first 11 chapters. There absolutely is. But largely, Paul is laying down heavy doctrine, who God is, who mankind is, the role of God's law, man in Adam, man in Christ, the struggle within the new man, justification by faith alone, how God works all things for the good of his people and for his glory, how he is sovereign in the salvation of his people, how he is sovereign in the condemnation of the wicked, and how he works out the salvation of his people through ordained means. That and much, much more can be found in the first 11 chapters of Romans. But here, in chapter 12, we get more of a practical response to the rich doctrine Paul has already laid out. So sister passages to Romans 12 are 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. And in all three passages, Paul discusses that God's people are the body of Christ. There are many members, yet one body, and by God's grace, he has given each believer believer gifts for the building up of the body of Christ, for the expansion of God's kingdom. These truths are for the church at Rome. These truths are for the church at Corinth, for the church at Ephesus, and the church at Maynardville. If you will, read with me Romans 12, 1 through 8. We're going to be focusing in on 3 through 8, but you can't really read Romans 12 and skip verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the good, or what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Whereas in one body we have many members, and the many members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So in verse 1, Paul tells us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship or our spiritual service. Our section this morning is the immediate application of how to be living sacrifices to God. It is to serve the body of Christ with the gracious gifts God has bestowed upon us. First, we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifices, and out of that, we serve others. As always, the vertical comes first and then the horizontal. If we love God, we love his people. There are three points from our text this morning that I, I want to point out and I believe uh, can help us think clearly about ourselves, the body of Christ, and our responsibility to use our gifts. So the three points this morning are self-awareness, same body, and sanctifying gifts. So jumping right into the first point of self-awareness, look with me again at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So in verse 3, we see Paul begin with, For by the grace given to me, Paul is self-aware. We see that throughout his epistles. He understands he is a recipient of grace, that he has nothing to boast in, in and of himself, that in his own flesh he is the chief of all sinners. And when we understand theology and doctrine rightly, when we understand reformed theology correctly, we should be the humblest people in the world, right? When we understand who we are, who God is, and his free choice to elect us in Christ, knowing the depths of our depravity before God changed our hearts, we should be humble people, the most humble people in this world. So Paul is humbly using the grace given to him by God for the edification of the church. He was graced with apostleship. He was set apart to be the minister to the Gentiles. He is using the gift of grace that he has been given for the good of the church. Paul, using his gift, tells the congregation, everyone, everyone among them, not to think more highly of themselves than they should, but to think of themselves with soberness, with sober judgment, pride, haughtiness, thinking too highly of yourself. These things are dangers to the church. Pride is a unity killer. It divides and it creates factions among us. After 11 chapters of deep doctrine, Paul begins this practical section 
by reminding us to keep a humble, sober spirit as we serve the Lord and his body. Understanding doctrine and theology has a tendency to puff up in pride. But if we have correct doctrine and are thinking soberly, we come to the same conclusion that Paul comes to, that apart from the grace of God, we are wretched sinners, and it is the mercy of God that has us where we are today. So the faith that justifies us before God is a gift of grace. And the measure of faith given to us to serve God in his body is a gift of grace. Anything good in us is a gift from God that we cannot boast in ourselves. And we know it is a turnoff when someone is not self-aware and they boast in themselves and they make every conversation about themselves. It's not surprising that in a culture that preaches self-esteem and feelings that many people today struggle with thinking soberly about themselves. There was a study done a few years ago with uh, 10 countries. There were two parts of the study. One part was a competency test on mathematics, while the other part asked the students to rate how well they thought they did on the mathematics test. And the results were quite ironic. The South Korean students graded themselves lower than any other country, yet they scored the highest in the mathematics portion of the test. The United States students graded themselves higher than any other country, yet scored the lowest on the mathematics portion of the test. So the Korean students had the lowest self-esteem, yet the highest competency. The American students had the highest self-esteem, yet the lowest competency. Both groups were not self-aware. There is a tendency to fall into either one of these ditches. Either you think too highly of yourselves and you don't have the ability to back it up, or you think too lowly of yourselves and you do have the God-given ability. We are to think soberly and soundly about ourselves. For a body to function correctly, it must be full of self-aware members. And how can we start to think soberly about ourselves? Well, Paul tells us in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice, the Korean students and the American students were both conformed to the image of their culture. In general, America overemphasizes self-esteem, while South Korea teaches great humility in their culture, probably to an unhealthy degree. Do not be pressed into the image of the world. Do not be pressed into the mold of our rebellious culture that is around us. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Press into the word of God. Press into prayer. Press into meditation. Press into me uh, memorization. Press into God's people. Do all you can to saturate your mind with the truth of God. Thinking soberly of yourself requires renewal of mind, self-introspection, taking inventory of yourself and testing yourself to see if you are in the faith. Particularly here in this text, Paul is exhorting us to think rightly about ourselves in regards to our gifts, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. Paul isn't talking about saving faith here. I like the way John MacArthur puts it. He says the measure of faith is the correct proportion of the spiritual gift or supernatural endowment and ability. The Holy Spirit gives each believer so he may fulfill his role in the body of Christ. Faith is not saving faith here, but rather faithful stewardship. 
the kind of quantity required to use one's own particular gift. Every believer receives the exact gift and resources he needs to fulfill his role in the body of Christ. So we are called to think soberly and self-evaluate ourselves concerning our gifts. So we have self-evaluation, but I also believe in bodily examination. Ask for feedback from your brothers and sisters on how they view you, what they think you are good at, and how you can be useful to the body. We have all known people with views of themselves that is unhealthy, that is not rooted in reality. If you've played sports, you probably know of the, the kids who want to play positions they have no business playing. You can't play quarterback if you have a noodle for an arm. You can't play wide receiver if you have brick hands. You can't play running back if you have two left feet. It's the coach's job to assign the positions of the players and for the players to accept their roles. And God has given the roles, right? God has given the gifts, and we can help one another identify the gifts of grace that God has given us and where we fit within our body. You know, at Maynardville Fellowship, we don't allow one another to live in fantasies. We love you, we want the best for you, and we will call you to reality. There was a kid that Isaac and I played baseball with our entire life, from five years old through high school. And this kid, he, he was a known storyteller. He was a liar, egotistical, not self-aware at all. And we, in the high school locker room, we would always ask him to tell these stories. You know, and we would really be making fun of him. We'd be laughing, and he would think we're laughing with him when we're really laughing at him. He is the joke. We weren't very good friends, but he would tell this story. <laughs> he would tell this story of how when he was a kid, he was at the zoo with his parents. And without his parents knowing, he jumped into the gorilla cage. He beat his chest at the gorilla and intimidated the gorilla, and then crawled back up out of the cage back to his parents and they never knew it and that story changed a little bit depending on the day sometimes it was a lion cage but he would tell that story as if it was stone cold truth we all knew he was lying and would laugh at him we weren't very good friends we failed to call our teammate to reality proverbs 27 says faithful are the wounds of a friend we must for the sake of the body call one another sober judgment. I'm sure everyone here for the most part knows who Joe Rogan is. I saw a clip of Joe Rogan on his show where he had his friend on as a guest and they were talking about bullying for some reason and his friend that was on the show said, man, I just snapped if someone's bullying me. I'll just show up to your doorstep and I'll beat you up. I will go crazy if someone bullies me. Don't mess with me. And Joe Rogan's just looking at him, shaking his head. He's like, Man, I hate when you talk like that. That's not reality. That's not who you are. You're not a tough guy. You should not talk like that. Your problem is you've hung out with too many people who have let you talk that way. Joe was straightforward and called his friend to sober-mindedness. We should not let each other live in fantasies, but call one another to think soberly about themselves, to think about themselves the same way God thinks about them. With that being said, we also don't want to fall into the ditch of being overcritical towards one another. Yes, we want to call one another to sober-mindedness concerning our gifts, but we also don't want to create a culture where we become overly negative and cause paralysis by analysis. 
Do not be the person who only has negative comments, nitpicking critiques. We don't want to crush people or discourage them to the point where they don't want to use their gifts in the body. They are paralyzed in serving because they are afraid to mess up or be criticized for their service. There are those who are gifted but not aware or confident of their gifts, and we have to be aware of that. Those, those people who are not confident in themselves or their gifts are among us. We have to be aware. We need to encourage them and help them recognize their gifts. We must have a healthy balance of encouragement and admonition, and all of our dealings with one another must be in love, truth, and humility. Think of yourself with sober judgment, and help think others think soberly about themselves. And why would we do that? Why do we care what our brother and sister thinks of themselves? Because of our next point, we are all the same body. So we've seen self-awareness, point number two, same body in verses four and five. Or as in one body, we have many members. The members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we are one body made of many members, and we are individually members of one another. And what makes us a, a body of many members? What unites us to Christ and to one another? We have been united to Christ by faith. He has accomplished the salvation of his people. By his life, death, and resurrection, he has atoned for the sins of his people, and he unites his people to himself and to one another. He has reconciled us to himself, and in doing so, he has joined us, the redeemed, together in him. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, states that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house with Christ as the cornerstone, and that we are a holy priesthood, and we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we know Paul already in Romans 12:1 has appealed to us for us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. A large part of being living sacrifices is serving God by serving those in the body. Are we serving God or are we serving the body? The answer is yes, right? Matthew 25, 35-40, Jesus says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Service to the members of Christ is service to Christ. God's people are on the same team, with the same captain, with the same mission, and we all have unique roles to play on God's team. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12 right quick. There is way too much in 1 Corinthians 12 to cover, but I do want to skim some verses there. 1 Corinthians 12 really expounds upon Romans 12, 4, and 5. We get this bigger picture that Paul paints of the body of Christ, and it's really practical and self-explanatory, uh, very easy to understand the, 
the point Paul is trying to make. So 1 Corinthians 12, start with me in verse 4. Now there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And down to verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So we see this beautiful picture, an understandable picture that Paul is painting here. The eye should recognize it is an eye and perform the function of an eye. An eye should not think it's a hand and try to perform the functions of a hand. And I shouldn't think that every other member should be an eye and perform the same function of an eye. And the eye should be appreciative of the other members of the body. We are a body sovereignly knitted together by God. And he places members in the body with different gifts that the body needs to be healthy and function properly. We don't need everyone to be the heart. We need feet. We need lungs. We need kidneys. We need every member of the body. We have unity in diversity, right? We image the triune God in that way. Within the Godhead, there is one God, three distinct persons. The Father has a role. The Son has a role. The Spirit has a role. God is completely one, and at the same time, each person within the Trinity has a unique role. And we understand that within families, there are roles. The husband is not the wife, and the wife is not the children, if they are one family. Each has a God-given role to function properly within the family. You take a football team, not everyone is the quarterback. You need all 11 players on the field to perform their role for the team. The left tackle who blocks for the quarterback's blind side might not get as much recognition as the quarterback, but a quarterback cannot throw a pass if his face is buried in the dirt because the left tackle did not block his defender. The quarterback needs his left tackle, and the left tackle needs his quarterback. Each player has a different position and role to play, but they are pulling together all for a common goal. Unlike an NFL team, we can't just buy and replace our members or our players. Well, think about it this way. We cannot manufacture the church the way GM manufactures cars. We cannot manufacture the body of Christ. Christ sovereignly grows his body and gives his members in unique ways for the edification of the body and the advancement of his kingdom to the ends of the earth. We cannot treat the church like used cars that can be replaced. When the transmission starts to slip, we just get a new car, or the engine starts to knock, and we upgrade. 
No, we must view one another as vital to our body, as irreplaceable parts that are essential for our life. The heart doesn't view the stomach as replaceable. The heart needs the stomach, and the stomach needs the heart. If a body part is not functionally, functioning properly, do we just say, let's chop it off and get a new one? No. We must diagnose what's wrong and nurse it, nurture it back to health. We don't just get to cast off our church members when they are failing or aren't functioning properly with their gifts. We need them, and we must correct them, encourage them, rebuke them, shake them, whatever is needed to get them to function in their role. This isn't consumerism, where we just pick and choose, buy and sell, or throw away members. We are joined together for the long haul. Now, if someone shows themselves that they are an unbeliever, we cut them off because they are not a part of the body. But, as our church covenant properly recognizes, we have need for every covenant member to be active in the body, using their gifts for the sanctification of the church. That leads us to our third and final point, sanctifying gifts. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This list of gifts is not comprehensive to all of the gifts out there. In the sister passages of Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12, the, the list of gifts are not identical as they are here in Romans 12. But we can learn to think about all the gifts from this list. It is important to note that the gifts are given to the members of the church, and they are given differently, right? There are different gifts that are given, and they are given by grace, and they are given to be used, or as the NASB translates it, they are to be used properly. We cannot boast in grace gifts, right? Grace kills all boasting. We cannot point inwardly and say we produce the gifts. God, by his grace, has given his members different gifts to use for the edification and sanctification of his body. So let's walk briefly through each of the gifts listed. This will not be comprehensive, but we will touch each of the gifts. So very first, we have prophecy. There are two types of prophecy. There is foretelling and there is forthtelling. Foretelling is a specific revelation from God about what will happen in the future. We see foretelling in the Old and New Testament. And I'm not going to give a cessationism versus continuationism sermon this morning. No Big Ed probably would like that. But I do believe the foretelling gift has ceased. The canon is closed. There is no new word. That in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, and we have the full revelation of God in Scripture. But we also see foretelling in the Old and New Testament. Foretelling is authoritatively declaring revelation from God found in his word and heralding it publicly in power. Foretelling is preaching. Preaching must include teaching, which is one of the gifts we'll talk about in a minute, but preaching goes past teaching. All preaching has teaching, but not all teaching has preaching. Preaching must move the heart. It must 
penetrate the heart. It must exhort. It must encourage. It must admonish. It must motivate. It must persuade people to a course of action. Persuade their hearts to follow God's word. It's not just a classroom lecturer. Paul says here, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So this in proportion to our faith uh, <clears throat> line has a few different common understandings. One is the emphasis on our faith, right? When you get down to teaching, it says the one who teaches in his teaching. But here it says the one who prophesies in our faith. So it's a gives you this community idea, meaning the preacher should not preach outside of the bounds of orthodox Christian faith. That he must be careful to preach the same message that Paul and the apostles preached. Another view is that Paul is telling the preacher that he should preach in proportion to the faith given to him, that the preacher should only preach what he is confident in and do so in humility, not preach vainly uh, from the flesh or outside of his good conscience. In either case, both of those principles are true. Then we have service. The word for service here is the word for deacon. That would include the office of deacon, but is not limited to the office. This gift has broad application and includes all kinds of practical help. This often is someone who is working behind the scenes, usually not public, and usually doesn't get that much recognition. Those people, those parts of the body whose work is not seen as as much as the, the parts that are visibly seen and heard, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, they are just as important as those who are visibly seen and heard. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker, the ones that are not as visible, are indispensable to the body of Christ. When you serve in this way, you are serving Christ and his body, and nothing, nothing goes unnoticed by God. And we have teaching. Teaching is the ability to open up and expound and clearly explain the word of God. Preaching has teaching, but teaching by itself is not preaching. Teaching is the ability to understand God's word, to communicate the word accurately, correctly, and clearly to the audience. There is a time and place for classroom instruction. We need teachers. And teachers, good teachers, will have the desire to study and to share the truth that they are shown. And then we have exhortation. This is someone who pushes and stirs others to good works. They encourage, they motivate, they get people excited for the things of God. They push others to run the race of faith, to strive towards holiness, to wave the banner of Christ in a rebellious culture. They challenge, they comfort, they light a, uh, a fire, they shake people to use their gifts. Have you ever talked to a brother or sister that gets you fired up for the things of God and the mission of God's people? Have you ever talked to someone and through that conversation you are more motivated to use your gifts for the body? Those people are exhorters. Then we have giving. Someone with the disposition of open-handedness that they would rather give than receive. And they do so with generosity. It also could be someone not only with the disposition to give, but God has blessed them with the resources to lavishly give. This gift, like all gifts, requires self-awareness. You might be generous in giving, but if you're giving your last dime while your family goes hungry, that is foolish and not taking care of the members of your household as God commands. You must be self-aware in your ability and resources to give. 
But should only those with the gift of giving give? Should only those with the gift of giving tithe? Of course not. It, no more than someone with the gift of teaching can't law before or serve or someone with the gift of preaching can't show mercy. No. Of course we are to give in some capacity. I'm not going to harp on tithing and tithing is not the only form of giving but I would encourage us all to check our hearts when it comes to giving to the church. We have more people here now than we've ever had in year to date. Our giving is down compared to several of the past few years year to this date. And I know there are a variety of circumstances, people possibly giving more towards the end of the year, job situations, inflations, uh, tough econ economic times, all of the above. But I would encourage self-introspection on this point when it comes to giving to the church. I pray that our hearts are moved to give with cheerfulness, because God give, loves a cheerful giver, not done so out of a heart of reluctancy. And then we have leading. And this first applies to the office of elder. The King James says, He that ruleth with diligence. The office of elder is a ruling or leading office in the church. Elders are to rule well with all diligence, zeal, and fervency. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Elders are to shepherd God's people. They are to exercise oversight. They are to do so not reluctantly, but willingly and eagerly from a pure heart. And they are to be an example to the flock, and they will give account for how they shepherd the flock. And as we see in our text this morning, elders are not the only ones given gifts. And elders are not able to do everything that is needed in the church. We need everyone using their gifts in their God-given capacity. Don't think that only an elder can seek out a wayward member, or that only an elder can solve a tough situation, or don't think an elder should handle every single small dispute coming and going. We are a called-out people, a gifted people, and can be a self-governing people in a sense where we don't have to run to our elders for every single need the church. There is always a tendency in churches to leave things to those in office or the professionals. But many in the congregation are fully able to use their gifts and meet the needs of the seed. And does leading Wazil only apply to elders? Well, here at Maynardville Fellowship, we delegate leadership to people to exercise their gifts and to minister to the body. We delegate our, to, to a man to lead on Wednesday night, to a man to lead on Sunday night in prayer, we delegate to usually Preston, Malacosio, Maple, Stitt to choose our songs for the service and lead us in song. We even have delegated leadership for things like our cleaning duties and other type things in the church. Whether you are an elder or not, if you are leading in any capacity, you should do so with zeal and diligence, slothfulness, laziness, negligence. Those things should not be named among you. There is a temptation when leading just to do enough to get by, right? Just study enough to get by on the Wednesday night discussion. Just study enough to get by on prayer Wednesday night or for a meeting that you are leaving. No, we shouldn't just get by. We should put all effort in to do 
and lead with excellence. And then finally we have mercy. The one who shows mercy should do so with cheerfulness. People gifted with mercy are sensitive to the hurt and the needs of others. They have their spiritual antennas up and they seek out those who are hurting. These people are able to draw in the hurting into fellowship. And they are able to bless and bring joy and cheerfulness to the suffering. They understand they are recipients of mercy and they freely extend mercy. What a blessing these people are to the church. And a few warnings and encouragements about gifts. There is a danger when it comes to our gifts because we are human. And there are can be times where we are inclined to view everything through the lens of our gifts. Why doesn't everyone else see things the way I see them? Why aren't people doing what I think is important? Why aren't people doing what I am doing? And remember, there are many parts in one body. Not everyone is a hand. If you are a hand, serve as a hand. But don't expect everyone to serve as a hand. I've seen this in abortion ministry. A man is very zealous for the good work, and it is a good work that he does, preaching and ministering at abortion mills. And praise God, they are shut down for the time being, and I pray permanently. But I've seen where men will say that others aren't even Christians unless they go to the abortion mills. That if pastors do not go to the abortion mills, then they are wolves in sheep's clothing and cannot be true pastors. That is unbalanced in putting everyone else into your lens, into the lens of your gift. Guess what? Some people were working at their jobs to provide for their families while the abortion mill was open. Some were ministering in very other important ways. All of the gifts work together and we cannot despise one another because we don't have the same gifts. For example, someone is very hospitable and really good at inviting people to church and getting them plugged in. We need other people in the church that are able to teach and disciple those people once they're here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And the eye cannot say to the hand, you should be an eye. We are not the first united church of hands or the first Baptist church of eyes. We must have room for all the gifts God has placed in our body. Some might ask, do we need permission to use our gifts? There are certain areas where you would want to discuss and confirm with the elders before trying to name and claim your gifts or trying to exercise your gifts in certain ways. For instance, if you think you should preach, you probably want your elders' feedback. They see you as a preacher, and if you are gifted in that way, and should get opportunities. Or if you enjoy teaching and want to lead a class on Sunday night like we've done in the past, get with the elders about that. Or if you desire the office of deacon. That is a good thing to desire, and that should be discussed and confirmed. Those conversations are encouraged. But in general, you can't organically use your gifts without going through any formal approval of the elders. Function and share your givenness where you are naturally positioned in the body. If you seek the office of elder, lead now with zeal where you can. If you seek the office of deacon, serve now where you see need. If you want to teach, study and show yourself approved. And we don't need any approval to show mercy, to serve, to evangelize, to exhort, and a long list of many more things. Be the church. Then, another question might be, how can I know what my gift is? We've already said to examine yourself and to get feedback from the congregation. 
but something to think about when examining yourself. Where do you see needs in the body? If you see a lack and a need in the body, this does not mean that everyone else in the church isn't doing their jobs. It very well means you aren't doing yours. You might be the one neglecting your gift, and that's why there is that need in the body. Pointing fingers and being a sideline critic is not a spiritual gift. Stop being critical about the things you think are being neglected. Ask yourself how you can use your gifts and step up and fill that need. I look out on the congregation this morning, I see a body full of gifts. I see Portia. Many of you know that there are several people that are members of this church because of their direct relationship with Portia, her hospitality, her evangelism. I see Jerry, how he uses his gifts to serve, how he sends us the newsletter every week with encouragement and rich articles and, and keeping us up to date with the life of the body. I see Fred. I know if I need help, if I need something moved or a project done, I'll call Fred and he'll be there if it's physically possible. I even look at Michael Carr. He has very unique gifts. It's been said... Oh, it gets better. It's been said that when children watch him play basketball, they get saved. Pretty crazy, and if you don't know that story, you should ask him after. But I could go on and on. God has used, God has graced us lavishly with the gifts in our body. And I believe many members are using their gifts the best they know how. Others might be struggling to identify their gifts, and others might need encouragement or direction in how to use the gifts that they do have. Every new member that we add has gifts for the edification of the congregation. We added 12 new members last Sunday night. The DeFabios, the Goforts, the Mayors, the Wards, the Woodies, Sierra Williams, and Chris Martinez. Each one of them have unique gifts for the body, and we must encourage them to find ways to plug in and use their gifts. And to the new members, jump in and find your role in the body. Don't be shy. And something to remember about gifts. Where do they come from? All gifts are given by grace. What is grace? The unmerited favor of God. So if you think that people aren't using their gifts on you the way you think they should, if you think people aren't serving you the way you think they should, or aren't giving to you the way you think they should, who are you that you are owed and entitled to the grace of God? The unmerited favor of God. And expect people to pour out their gifts on you exactly how you think they should. We shouldn't be looking for what we can get, but what we can give. Instead of being self-centered, be outward focused on how you can serve others with your gifts and abilities. You might say, well, I do all this serving and I get no service in return. Oh, so you did all the serving with the motivation and expectation that you'll get something in return? Sounds like you were serving yourself the whole time looking to get something in return. Humble yourself. Serve God. Serve His people without keeping record. If we are all devoted to love and obedience to Christ and are diligently using our gifts for the edification of Christ's body, things will take care of themselves. Why? Because the needs of the body will be taken care of because Christ has given His bride everything she needs to fulfill the mission He has set out for her. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, 
Preston read part of Ephesians 4 this morning. Each part of the body is working properly. When it is working properly, it builds itself up in love and into maturity. And that's what we're doing here. We are sharpening one another. We are growing one another through the grace of Christ to us. We desire to grow into maturity, into the image of our Lord. So as we conclude this morning, has anyone used their gifts perfectly in the body? No. Have we failed this past week? I guarantee it. But each week, as many members of one body, we come to the table. We run to Christ, the one who never failed, the one who accomplished our salvation, the one who united us to himself and to one another. We re recommit each week to Christ and to Christ's body to present ourselves as living sacrifices and commit to use our gifts for the glory of God and the edification of his church. Let's pray. God, we gathered this day as your people, many members of one body united together with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the grace that you have bestowed upon us, that you have lavished upon your people. We pray that we are not puffed up in pride, God, but we are humble and we serve you as we serve one another. God, I pray that you grow this body into maturity, into conformity with the image of your Son, and that we function properly, God, and we fulfill the objectives that you have given us. We love you, we thank you, and we ask all these things in your Son's name. Amen.